And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Rosaria Butterfield. She is a former tenured professor of English and Women's Studies, Syracuse University. She's a wife, mother, writer. Rosaria, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Oh, Dan, it's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a while since we talked with you, and probably uh, uh, probably listeners, there's a number of listeners that may have never heard your, mm-hmm. you know, briefly, your life story. And so we, before we get to other questions, uh, maybe you could just recount in, in short space your life story and what, <laughs> what you've been through, particularly since I think it's 1999 or thereabouts. Okay, right. That was a while ago. Um, but I, I think, I, you know, what, what happened to me in 1999 was that I met the, the real risen Lord Jesus Christ, and that made everything different, um, but it left me with some big questions and big struggles. Um, it also left me with a family of God and a church community that had been uh, walking with me for the two years prior to that. So in um, 19... 19- 97, I started working on a book on the religious right and on their uh, hatred of what I perceived to be people like me. Uh, at that time, I was in a committed lesbian relationship, and I, uh, I identified as a lesbian, and, um, and I worked in a, a progressive university setting where that was fine. I, I don't ever remember being closeted about anything. Um, uh, during the writing of this book, I uh, met providentially, the, at that point, the pastor of the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church, Ken Smith, and he and his wife, Floyd, and I began a friendship, a very, very unlikely friendship, uh, but a friendship nonetheless. I realized that to write the book I wanted to write, I needed to read the Bible, and I was a serious enough scholar to know that I didn't know how to read the Bible. I don't read Greek, I don't read Hebrew, and... Um, and here are these neighbors and now friends who were willing to walk this path with me. And so um, the very, very short uh, version of this story is that I, I struggled for two years with the Bible's witness against homosexuality, which at the time felt like a witness against me. Um, I made no distinction between the concept and the person. When I said I am a lesbian, I meant that in its full inherent and ontological weight. That is the, who I believed I was. And, um, and yet the witness of Scripture said something different. It said that I might, be, I might feel like a lesbian. Uh, homosexual feelings might be very much how I am, but at least in God's economy, that would never be who I am. And, um, and so I recount all of this in a memoir it's called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. And again, the short version is that um, I committed my life to Jesus, and then everything fell apart. Um, and it took some years before the Lord put things back together for me. Uh, what I say in the memoir is I lost everything but the dog. Uh, that's true. I didn't lose my job, by the way, but but I did lose, you know, obviously my my life, my world, the people I loved most in the world, and I became a betrayer to those people as well. Um, I also didn't lose my my homosexual feelings, at least not right away. But I did gain uh, the kind company of the, the risen Christ, along with an entire church that became my new family. 
And um, those were hard times. And quite frankly, I, I don't really relish looking back into them or ever reliving them. But they were also necessary times. Um, we, do, we do have to, when, when we are truly converted, First uh, Thessalonians reminds us that we must leave our idols for the Lord. And I had no idea how many idols I had. Well, that's uh, leaving idols is is so truthful, <laughs> and and and, it's and so hard. we all have idols. That that's the scary thing. We all do, we absolutely. Can, we can be converted to Christ and and be walking along and think we're doing fine, and then realize, oh, there's another idol, and I just tripped all over that's it and right. made a total mess of things. That's right. So um, you kind of answered another question I had, and that was. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, has it been hard for you? And it sounds like particularly early on, it was very hard. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, you know, I think the Christian life is, is, is hard. And I remember um, a year after my conversion, I remember thinking, Lord, this is so hard. And, you know, I'm, I'm, in, my, I'm in my late 30s. I'm probably going to live a few more decades. How do, how do Christians <laughs> do this? Yeah. You know what I mean? Now, it has gotten easier, um, because I think we learn to lean into the hard, and also we learn to lament. You know, I think that that's, and that's especially something, there are many, many things that Christians must be transparent about to a watching world, but, you know, to a secular world, hard, if it's hard, it's bad, we have to fix it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're sad, that's bad, you need to stop being sad, and yet, yet the Christian life is, is a life that understands that there is lamentation in grace mm. and that and, and that the, 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 the carrying of the cross that God providentially gives to you is not something to be despised mm. um, nor is it something that can be fixed. Uh, we are to bear one another's burdens, but we can't carry one another's crosses. We are to walk together, and even the Apostle Paul, even when such burdens were done in the name of, of persecution, you know, Paul said, my chains make me bold. And so I think that there are some, some important truths that a radical conversion can um, illuminate about the everyday Christian life mm. that will make us see that, you know, we this is hard is not bad and there's meaning and purpose and grace even in suffering in the lord mm. if you're not suffering in the lord it's just all miserable it's all just misery <laughs> but if you're suffering in the lord there's a meaning and a purpose and a grace for it and and even an eternal witness and those are important things for the watching world to know about mm. yeah well, it looks like you had a lot of support from your church. I did. You know, and tell us a little bit more about what happened there with Pastor Ken Smith and the church and how they supported you. Right, right, right. Well, I came out of a lesbian community, and a lesbian community is a real community. I mean, I think that's something that Christians do need to know, that um Every night of the week in my lesbian community, someone's home was open for food or fellowship or just to stand between you and depression or suicide or 
you know, drunkenness. I mean, it, it, it's a community of people whose lives are open and whose doors are open and who call each other family. And so when I, um, when I became a Christian, it, it, I think that Pastor Ken really knew that it wasn't just a partner I was leaving or a set of, you know, sexual desires or emotional desires or romantic desires. It was an entire community of people who, who, um, who shared a rhythm of life. And so Ken and Floyd folded me into their life. I don't know what else to say. I mean, yeah. we, we had dinner regularly. We, we were in contact um, regularly. I don't, I don't mean that they were pests, but, um, you know, when the out lesbian feminist activist commits her life to Jesus, that doesn't, you know, that makes it a big blip on the, on the Richter scale. And, mm. And, and certainly Satan knew that, and Ken and Floyd knew that, and my church knew that. And so my family of God surrounded me with um, a place to daily process mm-hmm. what was going on. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I, I thought that's just how churches work. I really did. Yeah. I mean, in part because that's how my lesbian community worked. And that's how this church was working for me. And so it was, it was shocking and depressing to, um, to wake up to the Christian world that is right now and yes. realize that most, most Christians are, are simply dying of loneliness. And most Christian churches are working on a starvation diet of community. Mm-hmm. It was shocking, really, for me to know that, because the Lord, in His wisdom, gave me a very unusual and very relational church. And I also learned that the church is like a family. You know, in the lesbian community, what connected us was that we were the same, and we shared very similar values and, um, you know, and convictions about the world. But the church is different. The church is not made up of people who are the same. <laughs> it's made up of people who are very different and what we share is the blood of Christ and it it's a lot harder to be at peace with people with whom you are different. Yeah, that's true. And so I also learned I learned that I had a lot of growing up to do. I learned that I was a really I mean that I was an emotionally immature person. I thought I was very, you know, I thought I was very sophisticated and erudite and all those things and um I I needed to learn the emotional fortitude and grace of 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 a, of a follower of Christ mm-hmm. that looks out for people and dies to self before anything else. That was important to learn, and I and I was um, I was certainly you know my church modeled that well for me. Mm. Well, it sounds like the pastor that God led to you and you to Him mm-hmm. was um, very fatherly in in his yes. uh commitment and 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 love and how he demonstrated mm-hmm. Christ and you know what mm-hmm. reminds me as you were talking it remind me um Jesus you know Jesus um doesn't mm-hmm. quite fit that yes. modern evangelical mold too well uh, he surprises no, us he doesn't. he he, he mm-hmm. figuratively puts his arms around those that are you wouldn't think that he would associate with and he actually mm-hmm, scolds mm-hmm. people 
when they try to push other people away from him. That's right. Uh, including That's right. including the children. You know, he'll say, suffer the That's little right. children to come unto me, for of right. such is the kingdom of heaven. Um, mm-hmm. our, our Jesus um, has fantastic love, and he sees right through uh, the fake, phony, and fraudulent type of Christianity mm-hmm. to what's real. Um, let's That's let's right. talk. Let's talk about churches. Um, there's a whole plethora of churches out there. Some are faithful to the Word of God. Others not so much. Others are just blatantly anti-Christ. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. What What have mm-hmm. you seen? What have you observed? Yeah. Well, it's been it's been a roller coaster of a few decades for all of us in the in the church. Um, early on, when I um, when I first uh, joined a church and, and, um, and, you know, came out as a Christian, I mean, that was just very much a <laughs> coming out experience <laughs> for me. Um, the church, the conservative Christian church, I think was still not sure what to do, how to, how to make sense of those of us who had lived very happily in um, gay and lesbian relationships. Right. I, I think that even, even in some of our Reformed churches, there were there's there were those people who felt that you know if you were once gay you must still be gay and you must be a reprobate and you must be a you know a a fa- it, it's a false conversion that's got to be frustrating it, well it, you know it was it was certainly humbling it was hmm. very humbling to have to have once you know once people would hear my story to ask me questions like Ooh, you know, is it okay to drive in the car alone with you? You know, or just almost like I was, I don't know, not yeah. a believer, yeah. you know, not a believer. So, so those were those, you know, those were those days. Those were the nineties and the early two thousands. And, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, once, once the Obergefell decision, the 2015 Supreme Court decision, um, that legalized gay marriage, once that, um, became the law of the land, it was, it was really like everything changed overnight, and many churches, in trying to, um, I think, in, in just trying to be on the what they thought was the right side of history, many churches started to lose their bearing. Now, one of the reasons this happened is because of the particular way that the Obergefell decision was rendered. It was not simply about having two people with same-sex attraction um, make a civil union and, you know, live quietly on the corner. That was not what the Obergefell decision did. The Obergefell decision um, created a new category of personhood into the legal system, making um, sexual orientation a category of personhood, not a category of description of how someone feels, but rather a category of who someone inherently is and also making that um, that link in the 14th Amendment that would say that a sexual orientation is just like race. It's a protected category of mm-hmm. personhood. So, so uh, this, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to sound all pie in the sky about this, but, but this is important because as Christians, there's one category of personhood. People are different from everything else because we are made in the image of God, yeah. and we are called to reflect God's image in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And the only identity that a Christian is supposed to have is a gospel identity. Amen. 
But all of a sudden in the church, you started hearing about this new category of gay Christianity. And the idea went like this. Um, some people are, you know, linking verb intended there, gay. Some people are straight, and then other people are various other things. And for the people who, quote-unquote, are really gay, um, you can be a gay Christian. And, and then, you know, that, that, was the, that was the reigning idea. Not realizing that a biblical anthropology is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Um, before you can fully parse out our feelings, we have to know who we inherently are. And, and, you know, feelings are never a good place for any Christian to start out to lead with, because every single day, every Christian has to deal with the original sin that corrupts us, the actual sin that distracts us, and the indwelling sin that manipulates us. And that's for Christians. We're not even talking about the lost right now. We're yeah. talking about us. So, um, so this category of gay Christianity really, um, it, 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 it unstabilized things in an extremely unhelpful way. Um, and I think it, it, um, it, it created a quote-unquote progressive arm of the church that is so radically different from Orthodox biblical Christianity that it's no wonder the rest of the world is confused. Um, yeah. This progressive church has a different understanding of human origins and human endings, it has a different understanding of sexual ethics. It has a totally different understanding of biblical authority. It has a completely different understanding of the centrality of the cross. It does not believe in the means of grace. It does not agree with, the, uh, with a biblical teaching and how one is justified before a holy God. And it even debates the question of whether there is such a thing as a holy God, and if God is God, and if God is is uh, holy and it, it, you know so so it's a it, I think it, it's no wonder that Satan is having a great time with all of this because you have people who will both call themselves Christians use the same vocabulary and radically different dictionaries and that's the world that we find ourselves in today and the people I worry about most you know there are people who say this is terrible this is a political decision we need to. You know, we really need to batten down the hatches. Now, I'm all for drawing lines in the sand, especially right now, because people need clarity. And that's why I signed the Nashville Statement. I'd sign it again. But what I'm most concerned about are the, the, the faithful Christians in our churches who have quietly been suffering with same-sex attraction, and the world is shouting, just do what feels right, do what feels good, and the church is shouting back, you know, those evil people. And, and these brothers and sisters are just dying inside. Yes, yes. And those are the people that I'm concerned about most. We must speak with biblical clarity, and we must protect those people in our midst who are struggling with same-sex attraction in godly ways, forsaking sin, um, carrying the cross, putting Christ first, calling sin, sin, but not wanting to be treated like a pariah because, my goodness, people who are struggling with sin in godly ways are heroes of the faith, not people to be despised. Amen to that. But the, po- the political climate has just, um, 
is really tearing people apart and families apart. And also the other sufferers are the, the faithful parents whose adult children um, are, are living in um, gay and lesbian relationships. And they don't know, they don't know how to handle these questions. They don't know whether it's safe to talk about it in the church. They, maybe they've received an invitation to go to their daughter's wedding, their daughter's lesbian wedding. And they don't, you know, they're torn, they're torn and they, and they, they don't know where to go. So in the church, we must protect our people. Yeah. Well, that's so very helpful. Um, today we're talking with Rosaria Butterfield and, um, I think we've got about four minutes left. Uh, Rosaria, if someone is, uh, listening today, let's say two, two folks, uh, one, just simply, they the Lord has been tugging at their heartstrings, <laughs> opening their yeah. eyes to yeah. the truth of the gospel. What would you say to that person? Uh, right. Absolutely, I would say jump, jump right in, <laughs> um, jump right in. The, the Lord will fight your battles. The Lord will go before you. It, it's messy. It's hard, but but you struggle with the kind company of the Lord. So. So, so bear your soul to the Lord, and and um, and connect yourself with with real Christians, um, and and by by that I mean Christians who understand the value of living as family of God. Don't try to do this alone. It's it, it, it's not meant to be you and Jesus suffering in isolation. I mean, unless you're being called to be a martyr or a political prisoner. Nobody's supposed to really live that way. No, that's right. So, so I so connect yourself with Christians who know how to do life together, and also Christians who um, do not despise singleness. Yeah. Um, people, Christians who do not do not believe that single Christians are people who need to be fixed or fixed up. <laughs> well put. So those are the you know two things. Jump right in. Embrace yeah. the teachings of the Lord. He's holding on to you. You hold on fast as well. And and connect yourself deeply within the covenant membership of a church that knows how to live, mm. how to live like a gospel people. Oh, well put. And um, let's say someone is, uh, same circumstances, um, uh, you know, the Lord has been speaking to their heart, and uh, they've been struggling with... Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, a gay lifestyle. Any any more words mm-hmm. for that person? Yeah, absolutely. I would say that um, we can't, um, you know, we we can't underestimate how powerful the flesh is. And um, you know, I think that sometimes Christians act as though these matters of the flesh are just simple. You know, fl- flip the light switch, just say no. You know, and, it, and it's not that simple. So I would say, get help. Go, you know, find, I'm sure that, I know on my website, I have churches that I recommend, and I'm sure that up at your uh, website, you have churches you recommend. Get help. Find Christians who can walk this road with you. But remember something important. There's actually no shame in repentance. Mm. Repenting of sin is the threshold to a holy God. There is no shame in that, because what it says 
is that God was right all along and that God knows better who we are and how we are. But don't try to get this all cleaned up on your own or all fixed up on your own. Flee to God's people and let us help. Well put. Thank you very much for that. In the last 30 seconds, uh, tell us quickly about the books you have written and uh, where people can obtain one. Sure, sure. Well, my, my, the first book, uh, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, and the second book, Openness Unhindered, Further Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert on Sexual Identity and Union with Christ, both are, can be uh, found at Crown and Covenant Publications. And if you go to my website, rosariabutterfield.com, you will find those. And then a third book, which is coming out in April, which is called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And this is about practicing radically ordinary hospitality in a post-Christian world. And that will be available in April of 2018, but it can be pre-ordered now either at Crossway uh, or at Amazon. Oh, that's wonderful. I love that title. <laughs> Thank God. you. It's Oh. Yeah, the gospel comes with a husky, That's or great. or it's supposed to, <laughs> you know, because really, we just we have to get upstream about these issues of sexuality. The issue behind all of this is that people are dying of loneliness, and God has an answer to that, and it's that Christians need to live differently. Amen. So that's what that book is about. Well, thank you very much for this real, this honest, this candid discussion. Uh, Today we've been talking with Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, a former tenured professor of English and Women's Studies at Syracuse University, a wife, a homeschooling mother, a writer. Uh, Rosaria, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Lord bless you, brother. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. He's wounded too.